0: Hello and welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. This is a show that we created a few years ago to help people understand and learn and be educated about and be inspired about all the information that is out there and available to us on the fact that we can reverse chronic diseases using foods as medicine. Right now, you are listening to a special nine-part series which is part of my dissertation by portfolio for my PhD for Royal Roads University, which I'm just completing now. Now I've interviewed nine incredible individuals, participants for this research who agreed to give their time, their knowledge, their bodies, their minds, their spirits to this research. And I want you to welcome Dr. Milton Mills, MD.
1: This has continued on even post-slavery, that the um, uh, continued foisting of unhealthy food on communities of color has been a way of keeping um, people of color in a subjugated state, because if people are unhealthy, they are unable to fight. Um, um, I, my mantra is black lives can't matter until black health matters mm-hmm. because if people are sick, if they, um, um, are, 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 you know, uh, taking a thousand and one medicines, if, um, their heart is weak, if, uh, their, you know, blood is out of whack, if they're stroking out every other day, they can't fight for their freedom because they don't have their health. And so, um, uh, you know, targeting uh, communities of color with with these uh, fast food uh, restaurants that, again, sell um, just uh, grease laden, salt laden, uh, unhealthy food that um, uh, um, uh, creates disease from day one. is, 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 again, part of the overall game plan.
0: Now, Dr. Milton Mills practices urgent care medicine in the Washington, D.C. area, and he has served previously as the Associate Director of Preventative Medicine and is a member of the National Advisory Board for Physicians C- Committee for Responsible Medicine. He has been a major contributor to position papers presented by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine to the United States Department of Agriculture regarding dietary guidelines for Americans. And he is also being the lead plaintiff in PCRM's class action lawsuit that asks for warning labels on milk. Now, that is an important topic that you can dive into, which we will be getting into in this interview. Now, Dr. Mills has published several research journal articles dealing with racial bias in federal nutrition policy. His major focus is in the use of nutritional measures measures to reduce the risk of major chronic diseases. He frequently donates his time via practicing at free medical clinics and travels widely speaking at hospitals, churches, community centers, throughout the country. And he was featured in a recent attention getting film called What the Health, which some of you may have seen. And if you haven't, please go out there and watch it. It is a brilliant film. And he will also appear in the film that's coming up soon, or might already be out called The Silent Vegan So. Dr. Mills is part of this nine part series. If you loved what you heard here with Dr. Mills, if this is the first episode you've listened to, please go back and listen to the previous six episodes as part of my uh, PhD research. Every participant is going to wow you, blow you away with the information that they're sharing you. They're going to bust open your hearts and your minds and hopefully encourage you to learn more about these topics. I've been researching this for the last seven years. It is incredibly important knowledge that we need to learn so that we can understand what are all the barriers that exist in remote and rural communities across North America and that prevent BIPOC people, that's Black Indigenous people of color from being able to access the clean, real foods that are needed to prevent, manage, and reverse chronic degenerative diseases. Let's dive in with Dr. Milton Mills. Thank you for being here. And please share this episode with your friends, your loved ones, and it's important that this message gets out. And so you can play an active role in mobilizing this knowledge so that everybody gets to learn about these important topics Thanks so much to all my listeners for being here. It is always a pleasure pulling these podcasts together for you. I love your feedback. So please go ahead as well and email me your comments, your questions, your feedback. Let me know how we could, you know, what we could do with this information, how we could do it better. Um, I would love to hear all of your thoughts. So email me at nicolette at richerhealth.ca. Thanks so much. And I'll see you at the end of the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It is a true honor to have Dr. Milton Mills on our show today. I have been following you, Dr. Mills, for a very long time through all the documentaries that you've been in, all the work that you've been doing, and I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be part of this very important interview, which is actually an interview for my PhD, so welcome today.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and I feel honored that you asked me to be part of your project.
0: Yes. How could I not? Especially, you know, you really fit, you know, the criteria beyond being an African-American doctor uh, working in the United States. Um, But because of your deep, deep, deep thinking into the All of the barriers that are, you know, really contributing to the disproportionate rates of chronic disease within, um, black communities, indigenous communities and communities of people of color. So, uh, you have been thinking about this for an extremely long time. This goes far beyond, you know, any vegan movement or plant-based movement, even, you know, you're huge in that world. Um, but, um, you know, this is a topic that is very dear to my heart. And I was so excited that you and I had the chance to talk a week ago. And we just immediately within seconds, not ever having spoken before, just like dove deep into such rich topics that I'm hoping you'll bring forth again today. So I just need to let the audience know that this is Interview number seven of my PhD research, where I am conducting podcasts with experts in the field of BIPOC health. And being an expert means that, yes, you might have a medical degree like Dr. Mills, but you might actually have traditional ecological knowledge like my grandmother had. Never learned to read or write, never went to school a day in her life, but She knew the science of growing food and health and keeping her community and all the villagers in our community healthy. So it's about including all voices, not just the voices of people who have a certain number of letters after their name. So Dr. Mills, my research question is, and we're gonna get at this from so many different angles. What are the barriers the BIPOC communities face in accessing the quality of foods that are capable of reversing lifestyle, chronic degenerative diseases? So lots of pieces to that question. So whatever that brings up for you, I would love to you to just like hear your response to that.
1: Oh, boy. So um, what are the barriers? Um... Uh, Well, you know, uh, one of the big um, uh, barriers, certainly within the United States, um, has to do with the fact that um, BIPOC communities have traditionally been utilized as um, uh, dumping grounds for um, uh, agricultural uh, excess and, um, uh, um, uh, uh, at the U.S. agricultural, um, uh, almost detritus in a way. Um, it's, there, there's been this recurring pattern, uh, throughout Certainly, again, American history, and I can't speak for Canada because I I don't know Canadian history that well, although um, given that Canada uh, somewhat um, um, uh, follows uh, uh, kind of Western patterns, I I, I suspect it may be similar.
0: Very similar, yes.
1: Um, But uh, European nations had a practice of moving into an area where um, uh, indigenous people lived, uh, and taking um, those um, people out of their um, safety zone, out of their uh, cultural milieu, and putting them into a place of uh, food scarcity so that they became dependent on the colonizer for uh, their sustenance. And they replaced the traditional um, uh, uh, ways of um, uh, uh, preparing food, acquiring food and traditional foods with the sort of castoffs of um, uh, the um, um, Western culture, um, and those were typically um, foodstuffs that would create um, uh, disease in, in in these cultures. So um, so for instance, in the United States, um, when the uh, Europeans arrived, um, the uh, Native American uh, nations that were here were actually largely agrarian-based uh, uh, economies, where um, they were uh, they had cleared uh, land um, and were growing uh, crops that the uh, nations have depended on. Um, for for their sustenance um the uh, uh, pilgrims were saved not with um you know mountains of dead animals but they were actually saved with with corn and squash and beans mm-hmm. um, and you know the um uh, wonderful Native American um, museum in Washington, DC has a beautiful uh, display of what they call the Three Sisters, which uh, were the um, core crops uh, that um, um, uh, several of the Native American nations uh, depended on, which were corn, uh, beans, and squash. Um, And uh, uh, these were the crops that they grew and uh, again, um, uh, were sustainable renewable and provided, um, not only uh, the the calories, uh, um, but uh, again, adequate and appropriate nutrition. Um, But uh, as the um, uh, 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 Europeans decided that they wanted the land that uh, these nations uh, had, and they began forcing them off the land, um, they deliberately uh, forced them onto um, more marginal lands that were um, more difficult to cultivate because they wanted them to become dependent on the U.S. government for handouts. Um, and in fact, um, the one of the... Uh, um, most uh, egregious examples of this was the uh, what's called the Trail of Tears, uh, which occurred in the um, uh, uh, early 1800s, where um, uh, uh, Native American nations in the um, uh, American uh, Southeast were force marched from the uh, uh, areas that would become the Carolinas, Georgia, uh, and, and Northern uh, uh, Florida, and literally force marched all the way out to uh, the Oklahoma territories, which were um, uh, kind of bitter scrub land uh, that was almost impossible to till and put on these, quote, reservations. With the idea that they were deliberately being placed on um, uh, land that they could not cultivate, uh, mm-hmm. and but the 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 other part of that was the reason they were forced off their land was because of the invention invention of the cotton gin, and the invention of the cotton gin, and I think it was eighteen oh eight suddenly made cotton a cash crop Mm -hmm. and that meant that slavery became um uh turned cotton into a huge business and so the uh, planters in the deep south needed huge tracts of arable land to grow cotton and guess what the native americans had already cleared that land they had already removed the trees removed the rocks they had uh, plowed it, cultivated it, and the um, uh, American government stole it from them and forced them off their lands, gave that land to southern planters to create these cotton plantations and forced uh, the uh, uh, the uh, indigenous peoples to um, move to these uh, uh, marginal reservations where uh, they were then given um, uh, these, uh, commodity crops, uh, you know, alcohol, sugar, um, uh uh, 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 white, uh, flour, uh, um, uh, lard, uh, things and taught to make things like so-called fry bread, um, that ultimately, um, created, uh, um, Uh, endemic diseases like diabetes and um, uh, um, uh, problems like alcoholism. Because one of the other uh, more insidious um, aspects of the cultural disruption that occurred when these nations were moved off their lands was that um, uh, these Native American nations had very complex but very well-established matrilineal cultural genealogies. And they were very well-established. And much of the uh, knowledge of how to cultivate and propagate these crops were were actually um, uh, um, known and taught by the women uh, um, in the nation, and and they were the ones who were the repositories of this of this knowledge and who handed it down. Um, and uh, when the government came in and instead forced this patriarchal uh um uh um uh, way of 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 uh uh sort of constructing society they completely destroyed the cultural um uh lineage and and practices of these uh, native american nations and just utterly destroyed and disrupted their social fabric and caused the loss of much of the cultural knowledge of how to grow the food that they had been growing for millennia. And then again, forced them to start, um, becoming dependent on this unhealthy processed, um, uh, um, uh, nutrient deficient, um, castoffs from, uh, Uh, U.S. agricultural uh, um, uh, leftovers that ultimately created uh, uh, endemic diseases like diabetes, obesity, alcoholism, and so forth. And so that is the pattern you saw. And um, when they brought uh, West Africans um, literally kidnapped and uh, um, uh, drag them over here to become um, uh, prisoners on these slave labor camps that we euphemistically refer to as um, uh, um, plantations. You know, these were every bit as heinous and onerous as Auschwitz, Dachau, Mm -hmm. uh, Bergen-Belsen, and all of the hideous, horrible, um, um uh, Nazi death camps, work camps that we all look upon as as ghastly um, um, uh, uh, artifacts of of, of the uh, Nazi uh, regimes from World War II. These were slave labor camps where people were worked to death. And as uh, the West Africans were imprisoned on the slave labor camps, their entire uh, um, social structure, family structures were, again, completely disrupted. The um, uh, cultural knowledge that they had in terms of how to raise the traditional foods that um, um, they had typically eaten, which, again, in West Africa, They were um, uh, usually eating a plant-based diet that contained no dairy, was very low in fat, contained lots of legumes, uh, beans, uh, green leafy vegetables, um, limited amounts of animal foods. um, And instead, they were brought to these uh, uh, prison camps and literally forced to eat the garbage of those prison camps, which is why they were given the entrails of the animals, the hooves of the animal, the pig's feet, the ears, the tails, um, and and so forth. Um, They were given the weeds that grew on uh, uh, um, the plantation, which is why they ended up being given uh, collard the the collard greens and turnip greens and 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 so forth. Now turned out that those things were actually um, the greens at least were 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 uh, uh, um, uh, 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 healthy, but but the the rest of it really wasn't. And um, um, so once again, um, these people were forced to eat and consume a diet that created disease. And something that that many people don't appreciate is that the disease and illness were part of the plan. They weren't us. They weren't an afterthought. They weren't uh, an unfortunate side effect. They were actually part of the plan. the 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 um, um, The overseers, the plantation owners, wanted these people to be sick and and. Some people might think, well, that's kind of counterintuitive. If you have got a slave population, um, you, you want them to be healthy. No, you don't. You want them to ultimately be sick because you don't want them living into um, advanced age because then they become liabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, as their productivity declines, if they continue to live for years and years, then they become a drain on your resources. Moreover, if you've got young, healthy men, you want them to be uh, um, uh, attached to your plantation because they got elderly sick parents and relatives that they are afraid to leave. Um, And so that whole illness was part of the way you kept that population docile it was a way you kept them attached to your plantation it was a way you kept them from rebelling because they knew that if they tried to run away if they tried to rebel and fight their relatives would suffer um and so illness was part of the game plan from day one um and uh and this has continued on even post slavery, that the um, uh, continued foisting of unhealthy food on communities of color has been a way of keeping um, people of color in a subjugated state because if people are unhealthy, they are unable to fight. Um, um, I, my mantra is black lives can't matter until black health matters because if people are sick, if they, um, um, are, 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 you know, uh, taking a thousand and one medicines, if, um, their heart is weak, if, uh, their, you know, blood sugar is out of whack, if they're stroking out every other day. They can't fight for their freedom because they don't have their health. And so, um, uh, you know, targeting uh, communities of color with with these uh, fast food uh, restaurants that, again, sell um, just uh, grease laden, salt laden, uh, unhealthy food that um, uh, um, uh, creates disease from day one. Um, is 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 again part of the overall game plan. Now we all are very familiar with the concept of the uh, school to prison pipeline. That has been talked about now for a couple of generations. Well, a colleague of mine, Dr. Lakshman uh, Mopuri, um, at the uh, recent um, Midwest Soul Veg Fest. Pointed out something that has been staring us all in the face for years, but I hadn't seen it until he actually articulated it. And that is the cafeteria to hospital pipeline. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out that school cafeterias indoctrinate children in the West into the Western diet. They teach all of our children how to consume this grease-laden, meat-heavy, dairy-centered, disease-promoting diet. So that by the time children graduate from high school, they are completely, uh, um, uh, um, essentially brainwashed into eating all of this Um, uh, fat heavy, meat heavy, dairy uh, uh, heavy food that is typical of Western countries. And not only that, autopsy studies have shown that children as young as eight years of age are starting to develop fatty streaks in their arteries, the beginnings of coronary artery disease. Mm -hmm. We know that um, particularly in um, uh, children of color, we see the the uh, beginnings of, of of chronic disease, and, uh, and that begin to show up as autoimmune problems, uh, hypertension, um, massive rates of obesity um, within our communities. Uh, children as young as eleven and twelve years of age are starting to get so-called adult onset uh, diabetes, type two diabetes. You know, um, and as preteens, because of the consumption of this grotesquely unhealthy food that is being pushed on them in our schools. So schools are indoctrinating children in unhealthy lifestyle habits, and it is all for the benefit of American agribusiness and to our detriment.
0: That is very well said, <laughs> does have to say <laughs> that and, and that and for a lot of our listeners, I know that they're hearing this just for the very, very first time because, and I can just imagine what they're saying, but like, why would the doctors let that happen? Why would the schools let that happen? Why would you know? You know, if the research is out there that shows that food is medicine, that we need nutrients, like how is this? And this is, and what you're talking about would happen was you know through colonization and the um, you know taking over the lands in America. But I mean, it it is still happening now. Like the best documentary that just came out recently was "They're Trying to Kill Us," which right. shows us exactly what's happening in so many communities of color where you know if a grocery store closes you're not even allowed nobody else is allowed to open up a grocery store in that community for another 10 years like they have policies now in place to prevent healthy food grocery stores from being there but a fast food place can pop up no problem
1: Uh, absolutely in fact there are incentives given to uh, fast food um, um, restaurateurs to open these um, um, uh, franchises in um, um, uh, black and brown communities. And that's why you can go into any um, black, Hispanic, uh, um, uh, 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 and probably Native American neighborhood, and you will find all of, I, I call it murderer's row. Uh, Pizza Hut, uh, Papa John's, uh, Wendy's, Burger King, Popeyes, Chick-fil-A, But you go to an affluent white neighborhood, you don't see any of those uh, uh, fast food places. None of them. They are absolutely targeted to communities of co- communities of color. And you 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 mentioned uh, the colonization. This pattern has been uh, repeated. Everywhere European colonization has occurred, um, and it is it's been done over and over and over. Where the colonizers come, they bring their um, uh, eating patterns with them, and they uh, 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 foist it on the population. And uh, disease and death, uh, higher death rates soon follow. Um, mm-hmm. We're, we're unfortunately starting to see that over in China um, for years, uh, um, uh, China, uh, um, the, the vast majority of the Chinese population uh, ate a primarily plant-based diet, and most of them lived a more rural existence as China has industrialized and invited these Western countries uh, in They've started to, um, again, get KFC, Burger King, all of these uh, fast food outlets, their rates of of heart disease, strokes, high blood pressure are skyrocketing, but even more distressing and and actually mind-blowing, their rates of depression, Mm -hmm. suicide are also going off the chart. Because these things are connected, these diets not only mess up our physiology, they mess up our psychology. And so it's you see the it's as Humphrey Bogart said, the usual suspects. Um, or actually, it was it was uh, um, um, uh, uh, Claude Rains in, in in Casablanca? You you see it's, it's heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes obesity, depression, and suicide. They all follow the um, um, consumption of animal foods and dairy because this stuff is unhealthy and it destroys our physiology and psychology.
0: And I'm really glad that you brought that up because... Um, we haven't done a podcast on this yet. It is something I've been thinking about deeply, especially in Canada. We don't have um, the gun laws that, well, we have gun laws, actually, um, mm-hmm. compared to in the U.S. And every time I hear of a mass shooting in the U.S., I always, always, I I want to dive into that person's life who pulled the trigger, sure. right, because I know there are diet-related conditions there. I bet you we can study their arteries and probably see a lot of, you know, arterial plaque and clogged arteries and stiffness. We can see then that's attributed to depression and not being able to think clearly. And I see it with my clients. My clients often come to me and they're they are depressed, angry, suicidal, and suicidal to the point like that day they want to take their life. And then all of a sudden they switch to a plant-based diet, right? That we put them on immediately. Right. Their diabetes goes away. Their heart disease goes away. Um, but they all come back and they, you know, talk about how they can think clearly, they're not so snappy, they're not angry, they're no longer depressed, they're no longer suicidal. And, you know, and and this is something where I fully believe, and I don't know if anybody's done a study on it yet, though, that that correlation between um, our high animal fat and processed food diet, lack of nutrients, so lack of fruits and vegetables is directly oh. correlated to all of these, you know, mass shootings.
1: Right. Well, yes, and 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 there definitely has been um, uh, studies that have looked at um, these um, high animal food, um, uh, high processed food diets, and depression, anxiety disorders, and um, there have been corresponding studies that have shown that as people move to a more uh, plant-based diet. Um, uh, their risk of depression and anxiety goes down. There are also actually um, uh, animal studies that have shown um, uh, um, uh, changes in brain um, myelinization, that you can actually show changes in brain architecture in lab animals that, that are felt to correlate uh, and, and and at with resulting changes in the behavior of these lab animals that um, is believed to correlate with anxiety type behaviors in in humans. so so there is indirect uh, evidence for that um, but um, um, I, I think that 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 direct uh, one-to-one um, um, work looking at um, uh, diet and uh, um, this sort of, Uh, mass violence. Yes, that that's the connection that needs still needs to be done. But, Mm -hmm. you know, what's really interesting to me is that um, in these countries where they don't have easy access to guns, but they are adopting Western dietary patterns, what we're now seeing are mass stabbings. Yes. Um, (laughs) Which is, which is, which is like insane that people are are, are grabbing the weapons they have access to to commit these mass atrocities. Mm -hmm. And again, it's it's the food that seems to be driving people crazy. Mm -hmm. And we've got to stop and and look at this and get off this insane train um, um, uh, because it is really pushing us all in a disastrous direction. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is clearly, clearly the food, because a- as you pointed out, it is not only um, uh, the, the uh, animal foods that are, are um, um, damaging and, and, and uh, our, our arterial function and, and clogging up our blood vessels, but it's also the corresponding lack of nutrients that we should be getting. From the plant foods and um, uh, the benefits that we should be getting from um, uh, all of the nutrients that come from a healthy plant-based diet that uh, these people don't have. And as a result, their um, um, brains and, and are just uh, slowly going off kilter.
0: Mm-hmm. And you are one of one million physicians approximately, give or take a couple there. One of one million physicians right now in the United States where, you know, you have you've done the research, you practice the lifestyle of plant-based whole food diet, you understand this history, but, you know, out of all of those other, and and I know that there's more physicians in the States that live a lifestyle like you do, thank goodness, you know, for organizations like the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and Dr. T. Colin Campbell's, you know, Center for Nutrition Studies, etc. but it's still very far and few bit- between to find another medical doctor for all the listeners out here they could walk right now probably I would say 95% of them could go to their doctor and say tell me about the relationship between diet and disease and their doctor would probably say there's no relationship
1: and, and that is that is sadly and unfortunately true and the primary reason for that is um when you know when I was interviewing for medical school and um, uh, I was interviewing at this one particular school um, and my interviewer asked me what I was interested in um, uh, in medicine and I told him because I I, I knew um, that I wanted to uh, explore the relationship between diet and disease um, uh, that's the whole reason I went into medicine and I laid that out, um, he rather glibly said to me, well, you don't want to end up like the dentist. And I looked at him with a puzzled look on my face and said, what do you mean? He said, well, they fluoridated the water and now they have no patients. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, I, 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 I committed the ultimate faux pas for an interview. I looked horrified. Like, did you just say that? And, um, he kind of tried to play it off by saying, well, what I mean is in Western medicine, we operate from the disease model Mm -hmm. that we are in the business of treating sick people. We are not in the business of trying to keep people from becoming sick. And, 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 and he was right insofar as that is the way Western medicine developed and the general way it is practiced, but it does not need to be that way. And it does not need to stay that way because we clearly have enough knowledge now about the origins of disease and the roots of it, that we know that we can prevent much of the uh, major chronic diseases that we see by helping people understand the relationship between what they put in their mouths and the diseases that they will ultimately develop. And so, it it, it I mean, we must uh, uh, change the way that we are practicing uh, medicine because number one, it's a losing proposition. We are fall, falling uh, uh, steadily behind in terms of the amount of disease versus what we are actually able to uh, um, uh, effectively treat. And at best uh, we're putting band-aids on problems, but we're not really um, uh, curing them Um, because when a patient comes in with uh, an acute heart attack, for instance, uh, with a blockage in uh, a coronary artery, and we rush them to the cath lab, and we the cardiologist um, puts a wire through that block vessel and puts a little wire uh, um, stent in there and um, opens it up to relieve that blockage, that will uh, treat the acute problem, but it does not treat the disease. The disease is the accumulation of fat and cholesterol that led to the blockage. That disease is still going on. And if that person does not do something to change his or her lifestyle, once they leave that cath lab, that process will continue apace and they're only going to develop another blockage somewhere. And um, yes, you can put them on, you know, expensive drugs like statins, which can slow that process down, but it won't stop it. What will really stop that process is to completely change their diet um, and to adopt a, uh, uh, a lifestyle like um, uh, Dr. Dean Ornish or Caldwell Esselstyn showed where you can move to an entirely plant-based diet, drop the cholesterol by over a hundred plus points, decrease the uh, level of inflammation in the body, and you stop injuring the uh, lining of the arteries that um, lead to the accumulation of the cholesterol and plaques. And you will actually get regression of the blockages that are already there and the arteries will heal themselves. That is what we need to do. And it turns out that the same diet that will help heal our arteries will also put um, diabetes into remission, Uh, type two diabetes it is, not type one. Uh, It'll also help lower the risk for developing um, um, uh, colon cancer and, and uh, breast and prostate cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer. Um, it, it is the same diet that will address um, all of the major chronic diseases that are afflicting Westerners. Um, and, and so we really need to uh, take a strong look at the way that we are um, uh, living our lives because we're just killing ourselves and um, um, I should say we're destroying the planet in the process mm-hmm. because the what most people don't understand is that the number one contributor to um, greenhouse gas emissions is raising animals for human consumption. That creates more greenhouse gases than all of the planes, trains, cars, um, uh, and ships combined. And that's why I tell people, if you use LED light bulbs, take your little reusable bags to the uh, store, drive a Prius, um, but still eat meat, you need more fiber in your diet because you're full of it.
0: it's, you know, and and it is true. And, you know, when I hear you talk about all this, and, you know, I've said exactly the same thing, our food production and distribution system is the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Um, You know, so it's not just the growing of these, you know, meat animals, the landscape that they take up It's also like how we transport these like products far, far and wide. um, That's, you know, contributing to our climate, climate change crisis. So, when we think about the disproportionate rates of diabetes, heart disease, depression, uh, autoimmune disorders, things like rheumatoid arthritis, like, you know, stroke, it's, it's all mm-hmm. you know, like the list is long, you know, Black and Indigenous communities, um, people of color experience these, right? It's sometimes four to eight times higher, now even going up to 10 times higher rates than non-Indigenous communities. And you talked about the fact that, you know, we have policies in place to prevent Um, individuals from accessing quality of foods. But then we're also simultaneously talking about, you know, we have the knowledge, like we know what to do, we know how to do it, we know how to reverse these diseases. So what is happening? Is it a lack of knowledge in um, BIPOC communities? Is it just too long of a history of now eating these colonized, westernized, forced upon them foods? You know, like there, there's so many barriers that are in place. And For anybody like me, like, you know, we do a research project like this, and, you know, often it's like, let's develop a policy moving forward. Um, You know, let's put together a a plan or a workbook or, you know, a systems, a strategic plan to, like, address the issues. But, you know, as I've learned through doing these interviews, the issues are systemic. Right. So, so knowledge is one of them, like, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Um, and then what other factors are there beyond, um, potentially the lack of
1: knowledge? Well, I, I think knowledge is, is huge and, and it's absolutely key because, um, much of this knowledge does not filter down to our communities. Um, and, uh, when you look at the advertising that, um, is, 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 um, uh, uh, blasted into our communities, um, it is all designed to direct us to eat garbage. I mean, um, you turn uh, the, the. The vectors of information into our community are radio, television, um, church, and uh, um, uh, printed, and and uh, and social media. But what do you see on those things? You see Popeyes. You see Chick fil A. You see, uh, uh, depending on where you live, churches, KFC. Those are the the the, um, um, the uh, um, things that you see telling people, this is what you should eat, this is what you should feed your families, this is what a meal consists of, this is what's affordable. Um, and they even try to imply that it's healthy. Um, when it, when it comes to feeding our children, uh, um, a very large percentage of our children participate in the National School Lunch Program. What are they fed in school? They are fed uh, a uh, food that, again, centers around meat and dairy and fat. Um, the uh, Right now, I am working with uh, uh, several different uh, 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 groups And we are actively trying to petition the uh, USDA to provide a non-dairy option for children of color so that they will not be forced to take cow's milk on their school lunch tray. And that is just a very simple step. But when you realize that when it comes to minority children, 75 to 95 percent of Black, Asian, Hispanic, Native American children are lactose intolerant relative to only about 30% of um, uh, white children, that means that when children of color are given milk, they're going to get sick. Um, so that means that when, when, when um, um, our children go out and eat lunch, While the white kids are able to study all afternoon with no problem, children of color are gonna be experiencing significant gastrointestinal distress. They're gonna have cramps, they're gonna have diarrhea, they're gonna have stomach upset. And there's no way they can focus on their studies if they're sick all afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the white kids have no problem. Um, And then again, um, when they're eating all of this fat and cholesterol and grease, it's, again, laying the foundations of disease that's going to affect them as they um, um, move through their lives. Um, the fact that these diets are so heavily weighted in dairy really troubles me as an African-American man because prostate cancer is at epidemic proportions in the Black community. Black men have a 70% higher rate of prostate cancer than white men. And once we're diagnosed, we are more than twice as likely to die from it. Dairy consumption is the leading risk factor for prostate cancer. So forcing this crap on our children is setting them up for disease. Mm-hmm. And the only reason to do it is not nutrition. It is so that dairy producers can pimp our children for profit. And that is inexcusable. The US government and the USDA has known for over 60 years, um, the prevalence of lactose intolerance among our children. And the only reason they will not uh, reverse that rule is so that these people can keep making money off our children. And that is the quintessential example of systemic and structural racism.
0: And you were telling me that for these parents who know that they like they don't want their children having the dairy, they have to go get a doctor's note. You were saying if they want to get be able to give them a plant based milk.
1: Yes, by law, if a if a um, minority parent wants their child to have uh, something other than dairy they are required to take that child to a doctor and get a doctor's letter saying their child has to have something other than dairy. Now let, let, let me, let me uh, make it clear. Number one, even if they get that letter, that doesn't guarantee that the child will get something other than dairy, because once they turn that letter over to the school system, The school system then has to try and come up with the money to buy something uh, other than uh, cow's milk for that child. But when you realize how schools purchase their uh, milk, they purchase their milk from large suppliers. So Mm -hmm. here they are with this one little piece of paper letter from a doctor for this one child they're not gonna. Uh, um, their large suppliers not gonna give them, you know, a couple of cartons of, uh, uh, of soy milk for this one child. So even that letter doesn't guarantee that that child will have um, of what he or she needs. Moreover, participation in the school lunch program is needs based, meaning that these are poor families. So you are forcing poor people to spend money on a doctor visit that is totally unnecessary because being lactose intolerant is normal for people of color. Being Black, being Hispanic, being Native American is not a disease. How dare you require these poor people to spend money for something that is normal for them? And then what if a, a mother has four children in, 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 in school? You're mm-hmm. telling me she's got to spend money on four different doctor's visits? That's That's horrific. It is so racist, it makes my head spin. But this is what our government is willing to do to poor people of color, just so that they can still give money to these white dairy producers. That is unconscionable and it needs to stop now.
0: Yeah, you know, we live in a society now, like we go back 100 years to 1920. I mean, if you compare the number of policies and laws that were in place there, like, you know, like we have so many policies, a policy that prevents a child from being able to get, you know, plant based milk um, in a school lunch program, a policy forcing someone to go get a doctor's note as opposed to the mom, like whether or not the child is lactose intolerant, you should be able to say, I don't want to drink cow's milk because exactly. I acknowledge I should just be able to present a scientific study and say, Hey, you know what? Cow's milk isn't good for anybody. So, you know, let's not consume it. But we have these policies in place, and that's a huge massive barrier to anybody right. getting healthy.
1: Exactly. And and the reason that policy was put in place was precisely to make uh to make it difficult for the parents to opt out. Yeah. And 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 that's something I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is something I want to I wanna point out people is that the national school lunch program was created in 1946 and it was created not because the government was concerned about the health and welfare of of children it was created because at the end of world war ii all of a sudden they had all of this excess dairy production and they were afraid that if they didn't do something with it the bottom was going to drop out of the uh um uh dairy market and it would cause a recession so they said, you know what? Let's dump it into the schools. The issue was that the schools were segregated. Brown versus the Board of Education didn't occur, didn't uh, uh, um, pass the uh, Supreme Court till 1954. So in 1946, nobody gave a damn about children of color. Nobody thought about children of color. So they didn't care about giving cows milk uh to uh um, um um black brown hispanic native american kids because they weren't part of the picture then uh but we are now and that's why things have to change
0: mm-hmm. no exactly and you know this part about the you know so policies okay we got to break down these policies we've got to completely change them entirely um i keep coming back to the knowledge though um as being one of the potential like a huge massive barrier the fact that the knowledge is not even getting through to communities of color because of course they're using people of color in the advertisements to market the fast foods um like you said saying that they're cheap and, and and but there's this other element that's sitting with me right now that i'd love for you to speak with you know when An African-American mom, you know, throws a gathering, a party to celebrate the granddad or the kid or, you know, whoever it is, you know, and then you look at the food that's on the table, the food that's on the table is considered culturally appropriate, but it's like fried chicken or like grits with tons of milk and tons of dairy and tons of butter. And so it's not even just knowledge. It's the type of knowledge, the historical knowledge, that awareness that you know, right now we have this huge movement, white people promoting plant-based diets and making a lot of money off of it as though it's this new thing that they just discovered. Whereas history shows us people of color were predominantly plant. But in fact, if you were Irish, Scottish, English, German, you pretty much ate predominantly plants because there we didn't have industrialized meat farms.
1: That's exactly right. And that is that goes double if you were a person of color, that um, prior to colonization, people of color ate a predominantly plant-based diet. These so-called soul food diets or um, the ethnic cuisines that we typically identify as Mexican food, Chinese food, Thai food, Those are post-colonization versions of those cuisines that have been modified to appeal to Europeans. Uh, And so they feature a lot more meat. Um, They feature uh, dairy, which were not a part of any uh, truly uh, pre-colonization ethnic cuisine. Dairy was brought by Europeans. Um, And uh, prior to, again, colonization, um, uh, true ethnic uh, cuisines featured very little meat, if any, and were primarily built around healthy uh, uh, plant foods. Um, you know, a, a, a more traditional um, a version of an ethnic cuisine is if you have ever eaten at an Ethiopian restaurant, where you've got this huge platter that has just this uh, uh, um, wide assortment of various plant foods that you can, uh, uh, eat from and sample from, uh, um, with, you know, with, with breads and so forth, um, uh, that is, uh, much more, uh, much closer to a, uh, truly authentic ethnic cuisine, um, than, um, what people are used to when they think of, uh, of, of, of uh, ethnic cuisines nowadays, because, what we have been taught to think of as uh ethnic food now is really bastardized post-colonization uh corrupted forms of food that just creates excess disease
0: exactly and i mean i'm part indian south asian part african malawian part austrian and you know even you know my dad austrian when i um first met him when I was 25 years old my mm-hmm. biological dad and went to a family dinner in Austria I got to meet all these relatives I didn't know about and the whole table was just pure meat and you know but my dad had heart disease had all of these things and um but then it it he started learning about this like his own culture his own Austrian culture and realized, he's like, we never used to eat a whole table of meat. Or like, if you're Brazilian, you go to these Brazilian restaurants and the whole entire thing. It's like, how much meat, like 10 different types of meat on your plate. But that might have only been if there was an abundance of meat for a very short period of time. But the other 365 days a year, people in Brazil were eating plants.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: This is a huge, huge barrier is that... um yeah, just lack of awareness of our own cultures, our own histories, which I love, which brings me to the fact that you, we just created a course called Decolonizing Your Plate. You just created and launched a program called Decolonizing Your...
1: Your diet, Your yes.
0: diet, but Decolonize
1: then... your the diet, yes.
0: Yeah, and, and then you took it one step further in our conversation that we had uh, last time where you said it goes beyond decolonizing our diet or our plate to decolonizing I, our... To-
1: Mindset. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because even our idea of what constitute a meat, what constitutes a meal, has been completely colonized. And 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 I was I'm glad you were talking about your dad um um speaking of, you know, as an Austrian, even acknowledging that um traditional diets for Austrians didn't consist of just uh, a, a, a dinner table full of, 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 dead animals, because, you know, um, in, in medieval times, um, a peasant could be put to death for quote, killing the King's deer. Um, it was felt that animals belonged to the gentry, to the wealthy, uh, the landed gentry and peasants lived a um literally a plant-based existence and if they were uh, found to have um shot and killed a deer or uh, some other large animal they literally could be put to death and what that meant was that if they ate um uh, meat it was um rarely and typically on holidays or you know festive uh, occasions and that is why um, animal foods and, and animal eating took on um, uh, such uh cachet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened then is that um, people came to look upon the gathering around this dead corpse as something to be desired. And as um, this, these, these, Uh, European habits were um, um, uh, sort of uh, passed around the world, that practice of building your meal around a corpse became the standard to the point that we now think of a proper meal as being centered around a dead animal. And essentially all of our meals are funerals. Um (laughs) we celebrate
0: um, with yeah, exactly. Celebrate with (laughs) funerals.
1: And it's and it's 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 one of the most unhealthy ways of eating. Um, because we are sitting around eating dead, rotting, necrotic flesh that when we ingest it, it creates toxins and disease. Um and um essentially starts the process of breaking down our own bodies and it is not the way um we should be eating it is not what our genes um um, um uh, have are, are accustomed to and <clears throat> it, uh again um over time leads to uh the breakdown of our tissues promotes cancer um, heart disease, diabetes, you name it, all sorts of chronic diseases. And, and so, yes, we need to not only decolonize our diet, we need to decolonize our mindset. Yeah. We need to decolonize our way of relating to the world because the way that we um, are interacting with our planet is destroying our planet. Yeah. We are wrecking ecosystems. We are um, um, uh, this, you know, destroying entire the the rainforest and, and mm-hmm. other natural systems, and and this is just um, uh, it's non-sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to European colonization, New World peoples lived for millennia in harmony with their environments. But in the last 600 years of uh, the so-called age of exploration, which it was really the age of exploitation, Mm -hmm. we have practically driven the world off a cliff. And if we don't stop it, we won't be here for very long. No, and it's true.
0: And it's, you know, in these you know, are not just words that are flying out randomly, like these are not just opinions of yours. These are true facts that are found
1: Absolutely.
0: in every like it, our, our medical literature is, you know, it is overrun with this kind of information that has shown us not just right now in the last five years, anybody who wakes up right now and says, Oh, my gosh, do you know what we just discovered? No, we knew all of these things that you're saying, I'm saying 25 35 years ago, even the medical doctor that I, you know, teach his therapy, it's a 100 year old therapy from 1918. And, you know, Dr. Gerson said the same thing. If we don't stop using fertilizers and pesticides in 100 years from now, so 2018, he said we would see cancer rates be one in two people would be diagnosed with cancer. And that is exactly where we are now. And so it's not new information, it is facts that have been there. So, one of the things um, that you haven't touched on yet, but that has come up in the other interviews is, um, and let me just preface this with the reason I'm doing this research is because I saw the gap in the literature, massive gaps in the literature. Every time the literature was talking about diseases amongst people of color, they said it was the cause of it was obesity, lack of exercise bad diet, but then didn't say what a good diet was. Right. So what's this bad diet? Um, You know, often things like not enough protein and not enough, you know, but like no understanding what even a good diet is. So obesity, alcoholism, um, lack of exercise, bad diet. And when I looked at this and I was like, no, 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 no. These are not the root causes. These are the systemic causes. And that's what I want to get into. So one of the things that we haven't quite touched on yet is you know, around trauma. And just curious, like what your thoughts are on that. Um, you know, we talked about knowledge. We talked about policies mm-hmm. being a place, education, everything
1: um, there um, um was a uh, really important um, article that appeared in the Atlantic um, uh, a few years ago um, that looked at how trauma can be imprinted on our genes. So one of the um, most important areas of science um, that has emerged in the last 20 years is the science of epigenetics. Um, And when uh, Watson and Crick discovered uh, the uh, DNA um, um, molecule as being the um, engine of, uh, genetic transference, um, and people began to understand how, uh, DNA worked, how it was, um, uh, um, passed down from parent uh, to child, um, the scientists came to the conclusion that DNA was set in stone. That the DNA that you got from your parents um was uh, solid, rigid it 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 was um, uh, um unmodifiable um by anything that you did in your life. And we now know that while the DNA itself um cannot be um changed by your um, uh, um, life's ex- experiences or habits, the way your DNA is transcribed can be. And that's because our DNA is wrapped around these proteins called histone proteins. And those histone proteins can be modified by both the Food that we eat and our life's experiences. And studies on Holocaust survivors have shown that experiences that Holocaust survivors have had, that exposures to certain um, uh, um, uh, entities, I mean, uh, pictures or 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 uh, uh, buildings or, or experiences that their grandchildren can see uh, uh, a picture, a building, a railway car, and will have a visceral, physiologic reaction to something they had never seen before because that um uh, it's that experience was imprinted on their DNA from their grandparents through epigenetic effects. We know that um, studies on Hispanic mothers who have been um, uh, subjected to um, uh, racist abuse um, causes changes in, if they are pregnant and carrying a baby, it actually causes demonstrable changes in um, the uh, um, um, uh, genes in the babies that they are carrying, And it makes it more likely that they may go into preterm labor. Um, when the babies are born, it, um, um, the babies are more likely to have certain metabolic problems. So,, um, there is no question but that uh, um, a lot of the um, metabolic, and uh, health issues that we see in people of color are caused by the societal trauma and problems that they are subjected to in these societies that has been proven time and time again. And then you superimpose that upon the fact that um, they are often confined and deliberately confined into areas where they don't have access to healthy food choices, to um, uh, um, uh, decent um, health care, um, and are subjected to relentless social trauma and, and abuse. All of these things combine to literally create. Uh, exacerbate and perpetuate the disease that we see. So um, I have absolutely no patience whatsoever for the arrogance, ignorance and racist habit of blaming victims for the abuse and trauma that we visit on them that create the problems that we see them struggling to deal with.
0: Thank you, thank you, and that is something that does need to be <clears throat> brought up at the you know policy level because we do we time, go in there
1: time again yes
0: yeah we just you know and we see it all the time my mom has been told a hundred times if not more you know she they they just say lose weight you know that's like it's it, you need to lose weight it's your fault you need to lose weight right. as opposed to whoa 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 like let's actually understand this individual's narrative their stories their history you know like let's look at all of those things first and then you know let's let's talk about that let's get that understanding and then the weight will naturally fall off like i see that happen all the time my clients they learn their history they learn how to get connected to their ancestors and their ancestors food and then they eat the food and then you yeah. know and they feel empowered to know their history as well and to know how that affects them. But right now, like what's happening, it's um, yeah. And I, and even worse in the States, because the levels of obesity in the States are, are so chart. high off
1: the and, charts. And yeah. And I, and I would like to tell those doctors, how about if I just give you nothing but a plate full of Lunchables and tell you to lose weight. Okay. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah being um, told and being told to exercise as though you know there's time to go to the gym like you know when you have you're juggling two jobs you yeah. have to go take a bus for 3 hours to go get your food okay. you know like to try and get any kind of healthy food and um then on top of that you're being told that their disease has nothing to do with their diet but hey go exercise right and that's uh,
1: yes. yeah yes I, I yes i i i actually um i i, I i'm I feel myself working on ulcer when I think about these things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I hear And I do too. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. And, you know, when I think about, I like to always imagine the med school of the future and what would we teach in the med school of the future that would actually truly be a med school that promotes healthcare and not the sick care system that we're in. And, you know, these are the things that I dream about, right? It's- It's narrative medicine. It's understanding our oral histories. It is um, understanding the trauma and abuse, understanding geography, like where do you live in relationship to your food? All of these things, you know, and in that, that's when we can actually come up with the with the solutions that that would help all people heal. Because we're only as sick, you know, I say this all the time, we're only as sick or as healthy as the sickest person in our community.
1: Yes, and, and that we tell the doctors, it is your responsibility to help them solve the problem. Yeah. You know, it it is it, it is not acceptable for you to sit in your air conditioned office and pontificate and feel like you've done something.
0: Yeah.
1: That's not enough. You haven't done anything. If you the the you got to be solutions oriented. And if you haven't helped get, you know, a couple steps closer to a solution, You are a failure, period. That's the bottom line. We're solutions oriented. And if we haven't come up with a solution, you failed. How about that? I
0: love that. Yeah. Nobody wants to be a failure. Right.
1: I know. Right. And, and, and we've got to stop letting people off the hook, you know, letting people just sit up and blame victims and feel like they've accomplished something. No, that's not acceptable. Yeah. No, it's so not. Ex- it's like you take your car to the dealership, and he looks under the hood and says, "Oh, uh, your pistons busted." Closes the hood and says, "Okay, you're done." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go no. Yeah. He's supposed to fix that. You should. (laughs) You shouldn't have let your piston
0: get busted. You know that's what you shouldn't have gained so much weight. You shouldn't have. You know, eaten that food. And yeah, no, it's definitely not the way to go. Um, you have shared. I mean, so much wisdom. The history. Just this in itself is part of that solution. It's getting your words. Into this podcast, other people can listen to it, they can understand their own histories, understand that really tumultuous journey that has um, brought us here, especially, you know, particularly people of color. But also to know that if you're listening to this and you're not a person of color, if you look at your skin and you know you are white or pink or whatever color you are, th- this this collective history is affecting you as well because the chronic disease rates among non indigenous members are astronomically high and they do not need to be
1: absolutely absolutely so yeah.
0: I just yeah any any last thoughts there that you want to share with us is there anything that we didn't touch on with regards to all the barriers that are preventing people of color from being healthy or do you want to address some of the opportunities that may exist?
1: Yeah well yeah there there's a couple of things that I always like to 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 tell people and um number one I I always want my audiences to know, you know, I talk about how bad the Western um, lifestyle is for people of color, but I tell people, I don't want anybody to leave my session and say, Dr. Mills said the Western lifestyle is bad for people of color, but white people get a pass. No, you don't. No. The difference is jumping off a 75-story building without a parachute versus jumping off a 50-story building without a parachute. Both are going to die. It's just somebody's going to make a bigger splat. So it's not good for anybody. Okay? That's number one. Number two, whenever you start talking about changing diet, there's a moment where everybody feels panic
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. we all think about, oh, my God, but I like. But I'm used to, but I want Because we've all grown up eating a certain way. I know because I, I was in that boat once and I felt it. I remind people, none of us had a conversation with the obstetrician when we were born. My point, we were all born without preferences. Everything we think we like, we were taught to like. Yeah. And just as we were taught to like things that were not good for us, we can unlearn those bad habits and learn new ones. You know, most people are in relationships, but they're not in relationships with the first person they fell in love with. (laughs) Why? That person did something stupid and they said, why am I with this fool? And they got rid of that person and got somebody else. And just as you learn to love someone else, you can learn to love something. And once you learn you love something, you love it. And so we've got to learn to love things that are good for us, good for the planet, and that don't harm other beings. So that's just it.
0: That's just it, folks. That is just it. Break up with those unhealthy habits that aren't serving Absolutely. you. Yeah, that's, that's not like loving you. That's
1: knucklehead boyfriend or girlfriend.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know what, like I said, this has been awesome because I said, you know, from all these beautiful, um, you know, pieces that are coming out from all the participants that have been in this study, like we can create a course on it, write a book on it, like do a workshop on it, like, and this is definitely going to be the title of one of my workshops is like, <laughs> break up with that knucklehead, that unhealthy, <laughs> that unhealthy
1: food. And knucklehead guy, <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Dr. Mills, you have been an absolute pleasure, such a wealth of information. Your energy is contagious, your passion, your anger, your love. Um, you did mention, and I'll close off with this. You said people of color are just too sick to be, to have that energy to fight. And so if anything, to be able to have the energy that you have, to be able to have that fight in you to keep going and fight for kids to get plant-based milks in schools and all the other things that you do, the countless things that you do. You know, if anybody's listening to this, switch your diet now, because you will get that energy so that you can have the fight and you can be doing this good work that you are doing too and supporting Dr. Mills.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for being on our show and uh, everyone else, we'll see you next time.
1: My pleasure, all right, take care.